friends throughout the world. Um, this is an extraordinary moment for the world when a virus is sweeping across humanity, bringing it to its knees in a way that the world hasn't known to quite this extent for a hundred years. And um, who knows whether this new technology of allowing us to be close, mentally yet physically distant, was not created for just such a moment as this. And uh, the Jewish way, when facing difficulty, if you have a headache, study Torah. The world today has a headache. So let's study Torah together. For the next few minutes, let's just drift into an altogether different world, the world of Hashem's Word. And let's study this week's parasha together. Let me begin this way. It is said that the Alter Rebbe, the first Rebbe of Lubavitch, Rav Shnaya Zalman of Ladi, once said to his disciples, one must live with the times. The disciples were really puzzled as to precisely what he meant, because surely that's exactly what Judaism isn't supposed to be. Judaism is timeless. It doesn't change from generation to generation or from year to year. So what on earth did the Rebbe mean when he said one must live with the times? Well, eventually they turned to the Rebbe's brother, Rabbi Yehuda Leib, who explained, you know what the Rebbe meant when he said one must live with the times? He meant one must live with Parshat HaShuvua, with the weekly parasha. Somehow or other, that must be the time zone in which you live. In other words, we have to live in the intersection between the timely and the timeless, between what is happening now and what God said to us over 3,000 years ago. Somehow, there will be an answer to our question now in the Word of God then. But how on earth can that be true this year? This week, as the coronavirus sweeps the world, bringing humanity to its current position, we read the double parasha of Vayakel and Pekude, which is about building the Mishkan, the first house of God, the precursor of the temple and the synagogue. Yet, through uh, Britain and many other parts of the world, on this Shabbat, synagogues will be closed, something that didn't even happen at the height of the Second World War. The word Vayakel itself comes from the same root as Kehilah, meaning community. And yet, just when we most want community, we are being deprived of it by social distancing, by... Um, by isolation, self-imposed, by quarantine. And it feels not so much like Vayakel Pekude as Tazria Mitzora. Badad Yeshev, Michutz Lamachane Moshavo. He shall dwell alone in self-imposed isolation outside the camp. New York, London today feel almost like the beginning of Megillat Echa and Tishabav. Echa Yashva Vadad. Ha'ir Rabati Am, the city that was once so thronged with people today seems alone. So what on earth does our Parsha have to tell us? If the Parsha is about shul and community, on an extraordinary week when shuls are closed and communities have been disbanded. The answer, I think, is extraordinary. It's as if this Parsha were written specifically for us here now. Let me explain. 
If you have a look at the beginning of the Parsha of Vayakel, you will see that Moshe Rabbeinu assembled the people to instruct them to build the Mishkan, the sanctuary, the tabernacle. But before he goes on to the details of how to do that, he tells us something else. He gives them a command to keep Shabbat. Now, why on earth did Moshe Rabbeinu need to tell the Israelites to keep Shabbat? He already told them that at Marah, when the manna first came and he gave them laws of Shabbos not to collect the manna on Shabbos. He told them about Shabbos a second time in the fourth of the Ten Commandments when God himself instructed the people. Number three, he told them a third time in last week's parasha in Kitisa, which contained the command of Shabbat. He's told them this three, they know about Shabbat. So why is Moshe Rabbeinu telling them this week in Parshas Vayakel, before he talks about building the Mishkan, he's telling them to keep Shabbat? Well, the conventional explanation, and it is, of course, authoritative, Rashi, for instance, brings it, is that this passage is to tell us that Shabbat takes priority over the building of the Mishkan. And this is fundamentally true. Whatever was needed to build on the Mishkan, you were forbidden to do on Shabbat. But this year, specifically this year, we can see that the passage has another meaning altogether. And this is what the meaning is. Um, oh, sorry, forgive me. This is my grandson, Zev. He, um, WhatsApping me saying, hi, Grandpa. So there you are. Thank you, Zev. If you're watching, thank you very much for that little message in real time. So what is Hashem doing? He is saying, I am going to give the Jewish people two sanctuaries, not one. Number one, the Mishkan, a sanctuary in space. In place and number two Shabbat a sanctuary in time why both because we have a principle in Judaism before God ever brings a sickness to the world he brings the cure before the sickness God knew that the day would come when Jews might suffer exile and dispersion they would be scattered to the winds, to the ends of the earth. They would no longer be able to come together in a Mishkan or a Mikdash, in a temple in Jerusalem. They would no longer have Jerusalem. They would no longer have a land. They would no longer have a home. And says God, even so, however dispersed you are, you will still have a sanctuary. But it'll be a different sanctuary. It will exist not in space, but in time, the sanctuary called Shabbat it will happen not because you are together physically in one place, but spiritually you're together at the same time. And so it happened. Uniquely Jews, no other people has ever experienced anything like this, were dispersed around the world. And yet they saw themselves and were seen by others as one people. They were the world's first global people. 2,000 years before the word globalization had even been coined, 
How did it happen? After all, they had none of the attributes of a people. They weren't living in the same place. They weren't living under the same conditions. They weren't living within the same culture. What connected Rashi in a, a, a Christian France with the Rambam in a Muslim Fostat just outside Cairo? What connected the Jews of Spain with the Jews of Russia? I mean, these are different cultures, languages, circumstances, fate. What brought them together? What forged them as one people? The answer is, they said the same prayers at the same time, facing the same spot, Jerusalem. They observed the same festivals, kept the same laws, honoured the same days. They were a community in time, not in space. And that was why God gave them Shabbat, the sanctuary in time, even before he gave them the Mishkan, the sanctuary in space. Now this is a broad and abstract idea, but does it have halachic implications? The answer is it does, and specifically for this Shabbat, for all of you who are not able to go to shul this Shabbat. Here is the sugya in Brachot, Dav Zayin, Ahmed Beit, Dav Ched, Ahmed Aleph. It goes like this. Omele Rabbi Yitzchak Rav Nachman, my Rabbi Yitzchak said to Rav Nachman, why don't you come to shul to Daven? Rav Nachman explained, it's hard, I can't do it, etc., etc. And Rav Yitzchak says to him, Rabbi Yitzchak says, Do me a favor. If you can't come to shul, speak to the chazan, speak to the shliach tzibur. Be'idna damatzle tzibura let him come and tell you exactly what time the community is going to be davening. So that even if Rav Nachman is davening alone at home, he should be davening at the same time as the community. And Omale, Rav Nachman said to Rabbi Yitzchak, what are you talking about? Why should it make a difference which time I daven? Amalei, he told him, to Omar Rabbi Yochanan Mishum Rabbi Shimon Bayochai. Because Rabbi Yochanan said, in the name of Rabbi Shimon Bayochai, my dichsiv, what did David HaMelech mean when he said in Psalm 19, Vani tvilati lecha Hashem ekratzon, let my prayer to you, God, be at a time of favor. Ematai ekratzon said Rabbi Shimon Bayochai, what exactly is a time of favor? Answered Rabbi Shimon Bayochai, Basha Shehat Sibur Mitpalalim. The time when the community adavni. In other words, even if you're at home, even if you're not able, like Rav Nachman was not able to go to shul, then if you daven, then daven at the same time time as the community, because there is a concept of community in time as well as a community in place. And this is how Rav Soloveitchik Zetzal explains that sugya. Muvua b'gemara, he says, it explains in the gemara, that there is a virtue for an individual to pray at the time when the community is praying. Even if he's davening alone at home, because, because 
if he davens at the time that the community is davening, mit his prayer is joined to that of the community, and it is accounted as if he were praying in a community. I won't go into the detail of his nuance there, but he quotes that Gemara and the view of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai that the time of favor is the time when the community prays. And I suggest that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai derives his interpretation, because David HaMelech only says, Eitratzon, a time of favor. He doesn't talk at all about a community praying. But it seems to me that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is basing himself on the principle set out at the beginning of Vayakel that there can be a community in time as well as in place. And therefore, if for some terrible reason we are not able to go to Shul this Shabbat, then by praying at the time that the community prays, our prayer is joined to theirs and we become Ka'ish Echad Belev Echad, all of us together like one person with one heart. Now, heaven alone knows that this is not ideal. This is b'diavad, not l'chad chila. This is something you only do if you have no alternative. But let me repeat. God gives us the cure before the disease. He gives us the consolation before the crisis. And it is davka here in the parsha of Vayakel that Hashem already provides the answer before we even had the question, the question that we have this year specifically, how do we pray as a community when because of disease, because of contagion, because of risk of life, we can't actually pray as a community? And the answer is that Vayakel, there is such a thing as a community in time if we can't gather it together in place. The way to do it is daven when others are praying and our voices will combine as they wing their way to heaven. That is the Dvar Torah I wanted to share with you, which is something we could only get through this intersection of the timely and the timeless, the specifics of this year and the eternity of Parshas Vayakil Pukude, exactly as the Alter Rebbe said, bring those both into alignment and there will be some new revelation. Now, secondly, very simply, how do we cope with this? What kind of a Shabbos are we going to make? The short answer is the best question you can ask when bad things happen is, what does this make possible? that I couldn't have done before or that I wouldn't have done before. So what becomes possible if we are forced to stay at home this Shabbat that we might not have done otherwise? Let me suggest five things. Number one, if you're at home with children, spend more time with them. Learning the Parsha together, learning anything together, but especially sharing thoughts about the parasha. And if you need a resource to do so, please 
look at the family edition of Covenant and Conversation, which was created specifically for that. Number two, you know how we always, but always, find ourselves rushing our prayers in shul. So for one week, we don't have to rush our prayers. We can take our time, take any single prayer and just really, really study it. Let it sink into your mind, taste it, feel the rhythms, the vividness of it all. I think the ones we tend to rush through are the most beautiful of all, namely the great prayers and psalms of Psuke de Zimra. And if you really, really want a psalm written for this particular moment in the history of the world, just look at the thing that stands as a prelude to Psuke de Zimra, Mizmo Shir Chanukat Habayit Le David, Psalm 30, where David HaMalach is exposed to illness and feels his health is a great risk and he prays to Hashem and Hashem answers him. It's, it's a very powerful piece of poetry and I urge you to read that or read any of the Psalms. Take your time to daven slowly because you really have that time this particular Shabbat. Number three. If you want any specific prayers to give you strength through depression, through illness, through crisis, through heaven knows what, the single greatest resource in the entire world literature of prayer is Sefer Tehillim, the book of Psalms. And I do recommend you sometime during this period when we do have to undergo isolation, sit and read Psalms. Find the psalms that speak to you because there are many different types of psalms. But you will discover that David HaMelech is able from the depths of his soul, Mima'amakim, to somehow cry to Hashem and feel Hashem stretching out her hand to him and lifting him up from the pit. This is powerful poetry. I personally have found the book of Psalms a form of refuah, a form of healing in its own right. And there are many, many, many others who have done so. Number four, if you're just on your own, look at your bookshelves and read one of the commentaries to the Chumash that you haven't read before. Again, often we find ourselves under too much pressure of time. Take any, the, whatever is the Chumash on your shelf, and just learn the commentaries this week. And you will find that it will give you depth that you didn't have before. And finally, my fifth request, this is not just an advice, it's my request. Find somebody you know, a neighbor, a member of your community who may be very, very isolated or alone. And before Shabbat, just phone them up and say Shabbat Shalom. You never know what it can do for somebody to feel that you are thinking about them. So those are the five things. And if you ever need any further educational resources, we've got lots of them on our website, lots of them on the internet altogether. But if you want the ones on our website, kiinrabbisaxorg slash education, and I hope you'll find something of interest to you. 
So those are five things you might do. And finally, what might we learn as Jews, as individuals, as a people, as a humanity, from this experience of a kind that only happens at most once in a hundred years? I think we should learn the following things. Three things. Number one, the we of global solidarity. Which is my translation for Brit B'nai Noach, the Noachide covenant, the God made with all of us. I don't know any moment in my lifetime when the whole world faced the same problem at the same time. At the outset we were thinking, there it is happening to someone else somewhere else, it's happening over there, half a world away in China, but within weeks it had covered the whole globe and we are all suffering and we are all worrying. This is telling us that we are connected to one another. We have these gossamer strands of empathy and sympathy and responsibility. And I hope when all this is over, we will feel more strongly that we are a single human family. Number two, I hope we will learn the we of humility. You know, we have thought ourselves affluent, free, and technologically advanced beyond the dreams of any previous generations. We suffered from hubris. And what has happened? A tiny microscopic organism, a, a virus, has brought all of humanity to its knees. A Midrash says, why was man created last of all the acts of creation? Well, to teach us, if he is worthy, if we are worthy, all of creation was made for us. But if we are unworthy, we will be told even a gnat, or if I can put it another way, even a virus preceded us in the order of creation. I think we should have a new sense of humility in the face of nature. I think we should recognize our vulnerability as we hadn't before. And I hope and pray that this will lead us and the nations of the world to take climate change more seriously and to limit all the activities that are doing so much damage to the world now and in the future. So the we of solidarity, the we of humility, and finally, the we of facing a crisis together. The Torah tells us in Parshas Masay that somebody who killed somebody accidentally, guilty, found guilty of manslaughter, is shielded in one of the cities of refuge. And that person has to stay there until the death of the high priest. There's an obvious question. What on earth has the death of the high priest got to do with anything? The Gemara in Marcus has various answers but the Rambam gives a completely different answer in book 3 chapter 40 of the Guide for the Perplexed and he says very simply this when the high priest who was a major public figure dies everyone is in a state of grief and when there is collective grief individual animosities get forgotten so that nobody is going none of the members of the family of the victim are going to try and kill the uh, manslaughterer, 
because we are all facing a bigger collective grief. I suppose the Rambam is saying in his philosophical terminology roughly what Chazal meant when they said, Sarat Rabim Chatzina Chama. If many people are suffering, that is half of a consolation. When we are all suffering the same fears, the same exclusion, the same social distancing, every other little animosity becomes minor and trivial in comparison. And all the rifts and differences between us suddenly seem to be the trifling things they are. And I hope we will come through this whole experience realizing that there are bigger things than the things that have divided us so badly in recent years, whether individually or collectively. The Rambam is telling us collective grief, collective danger, banishes some of the negative individual emotions that we are prone to at easier and safer times. All of this is tied up in four words that define our experience on Pesach at the Seder table. The Mishnah asks, itself, asks us a very simple question. How do you tell the story of the going out of Egypt? And it answers in four words. You begin with the bad news, but you end with the good news. And that is, for me, the clear definition of what it is to tell a story the Jewish way. We don't deny the bad news. We don't ignore it. But we say that's only the beginning and the end is going to be an ending of hope. Yes, we begin with the bread of affliction and bitter herbs of slavery. But as we go on, we drink the four cups of wine, each a further stage on the road to redemption. And we end with a glorious song, Chagadio, whose last verse is one of the most moving I know. All the more moving because it is a young children's song. God will come and end the angel of death. May that be true for us. Shabbat Shalom.